and basically what I saw is no matter what I would do, like, you know, take rest days, sleep more, do all my like little tricks to improve recovery. Like I could not, I could not really make like strides. I, I, I think I went like almost like three weeks without having like a green recovery or so, something like that. Welcome back to this week's episode of Be Boulder. I am joined this week by Dr. Alex Heiduchup and Danielle Blount as we sort of piece and parse through the um, very interesting world of sports recovery and kind of how does that translate over then into the world of recovery for entrepreneurs or for those of us in the, in the working world. foremost, you, you know myself, you know Danielle, you've heard us both, but you've never heard from, from Dr. H. <laughs> so uh, Dr. Alex Hydrachuk is a third-year internal medicine resident, resident physician at Penn State Hershey in Pennsylvania. He will be joining the uh, cardiology fellowship at Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia in this coming July, July 2021, and is pursuing an academic career in advanced heart failure slash transplant. He has used the WHOOP to optimize training in CrossFit since 2017, and is a, he is a certified CrossFit Level 1 trainer at CrossFit Gamma in Hershey, PA. In addition, he leads multiple clinical trials using the WHOOP device for various populations, including medical residents and heart failure patients. And most importantly, he's a huge Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres fan. So Alex, welcome to our episode this week. Thank you so much for having me. What a what a nice intro. I appreciate you guys uh, uh, having me on. What's well, an impressive, impressive background. So how did you find your way into medical school uh, from maybe where are you from, first of all, and then how did you find your way into medical school? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm from Buffalo. Um, uh, I was actually born in Iowa, but we moved to Buffalo when I when I was two. And um, so I grew up uh, a huge Bills and Sabres fan. Um, I grew up playing hockey and soccer. Um, I actually played hockey with Gronk growing up, and we went to high school no. together. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's one day older than me. Oh. Um, and uh, so I um, essentially went to, you know, did uh, high school at Williamsville North, um, was really into science, uh, had a... a AP bio teacher that that really kind of uh, made me really love science and probably when I first started becoming a little bit of a nerd um, was always into sports and things like that growing up um, went to college um, I majored in biochemistry and, and economics and which I later turned into an economics minor because I wanted to focus more on on, on science stuff and, and medicine and research um, throughout college and then I got into the University of Rochester's medical school. And so after I graduated from University of Rochester, where I went to college, uh, I stayed there for med school. Um, was actually in a, a research track there where, where I did a, a number of years actually dedicated to, to research specifically in, in the midst of medical school. Mm -hmm. And 
finished finished med school in in 2018 and matched into internal medicine at uh, Penn State Hershey down here in, in Hershey, PA. And so, you know, taking a little bit of a step back, was always into, you know, biology and, and really physiology is what it, what it came down to. Um, and I think part of that was because of my background in sports, always wanted to figure out like, you know, how to, you know, even from an early age, you know, how, how your body kind of fits into how you're performing and things like that. And naturally, the, the biggest thing that you could feel with that was always, you know, kind of like, you know, how you'd be breathing after a long run or, or how you'd be, um, you know, recovering from like, you know, elevated heart rate, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, hard shift playing hockey and things like that. So naturally, um, that, that made me focus on the cardiovascular system, which is where a lot of my early research was, uh, was actually, I spent a summer in Germany um, during college, uh, Doing, doing research like very basic science, actually biophysics, crystallizing membrane proteins. And uh, I kept on doing that. Because it's very basic science. <laughs> oh, yeah, very, very basic, like literally putting, like purifying proteins out of bacteria very and cool. and grow, growing them in, in, in various conditions and then right. waiting for crystals to grow. And then, and then you, you, you shoot like certain... Um, like light beams at it and, and look at the uh, electron diffraction pattern and then map out like where the atoms all are. Right. So, um, so then, so then I, I came back and, and finished up a lot of that work in, in college and I was just enthralled with, with how you can do those, you know, answer specific questions at a molecular level and then apply that um, as like a cell on a, onto a cellular or systems level, like cardiovascular system. And then, you know, how that impacts, us as as human beings, um, because my 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 overall my overarching goal was always to essentially like figure out like neat ways to ask questions like ask scientific questions and then how can that help people whether it's a recover from diseases or whether it's optimized performance and, and things like that. So that was kind of my, my my path into medicine and research, and you can sense the the cardiovascular theme yeah. um, throughout that, and and that's uh, why I'm uh, continuing on into uh, cardiology fellowship. I love it. Uh, so okay, awesome. That's a very your background is naturally perfect then for kind of doing the things that you've been doing. So tell me, because I too am a CrossFit culty. When did you get into CrossFit, and how did you then? start to think about your training and your, your recovery related to that? So this is a hilarious story. So <laughs> I used to hate on CrossFit. I was like, you guys are going to hurt yourself. That's dumb. I don't want to do swinging pull-ups, like all those things. <laughs> yeah. And basically, like I was just going to the gym um, at, at University of Rochester, but I was starting to spend you know, hour and a half, two hours there texting between sets and whatnot and, and not really feeling like I was getting like an actual good workout in. Even, you know, maybe you got like a little bit of a pump in, but I was like, I got to like sweat a little bit. Right. And so, you know, I was a big fan of like the Rocky movies growing up. Oh. And so, you know, he always does like the, the jump rope and everything like that as part of the training. So I remember seeing like on Instagram or something or Facebook like that like CrossFit people do like jump rope stuff. <laughs> and so I, I like Googled like jump rope and I ended up getting like an RX jump rope and, and started doing double unders and things like that. Like really, really got into it. Um, and it just kind of came like I was just fortunate that it came naturally to me. Okay. Like I, I think I like I got like I was able to do like triple unders like the, like the second oh, yeah, that I had yeah. a jump rope. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that was that was fortunate. 
And then I still like wasn't into it. I started rowing on the side at the gym and I was like, wow, this is actually pretty hard. Um, one rowing of my buddies, like his, his... rowing is the worst. I'm really <laughs> short. So like rowing is so hard for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. And my, uh, my friend who I played hockey with, um, in a men's league. So his, his son rode crew and he was like, yeah, you should try to row a sub seven minute 2k row. And I was like, okay, let me try it. And I was like, two minutes off, I go, Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Mm-hmm. And then it was like 4th of July weekend. And I was out in the Catskills actually, where this is like another thing. I grew up doing Ukrainian dancing. Oh. And so we're, we're, we're out in the Catskills. Uh, it was basically like dirty dancing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like spitting image of that. But anyways, one of my friends out there used to row crew at Cornell and we kind of got into like, we were having a couple drinks and basically made a bet to see who could come back and row a sub 130, 500 meter row first. Why? And so I was like, I got, I got to do that. <laughs> and then literally like the next day I went to the gym, tried it in the morning. I was like two seconds off and I went back after work and like got it. I was like 129.6. Nice. And I texted him. He goes, he goes, dude, if, if you like this stuff and like jump rope and, you know, you're obviously a competitive person, like you'll love CrossFit. I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll try it. So that was July of, of, of 2014. And I basically did like one day of like an onboarding thing. And then I was like, can I just join like the real like thing? And like that Sunday, that Sunday I, I did my first like CrossFit class. And it was like, I think it was like two seven minute AMRAPs of, of, like burpees and pull-ups and then like thrusters and kettlebell swings. And I just remember getting absolutely bodied by it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so bad. Like all these people are so much better. I was like, I got to get good at this. Yeah. And then like the rest is, the rest is history. Like I, 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 I bought in, I, I, I drank the juice. I, you know, bought all the shoes and, you know, got hooked on, have like a shoe addiction now. And, um, went, went through all the stages. I mean, that was when I first started, it was like the last year that, that Froning did individual at the games. And then, um, so I've, I've, I've been in, I've seen the kind of like the passing of the torch a couple times now from, you know, and, and the changing of like the elite level athlete to now basically like a professional athlete. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I still, do, still do it on the side. I still, I, I coach, I, you know, I've been coaching for five years and I love it. I mean, it's, it's so much fun. I still like my, my, my best friends from Rochester, we talk all the time in like group chats about just like CrossFit in general. And now everybody's kind of got like kids and other commitments and stuff like that, but everyone's still doing it on the side. And it's great because you just needed like an hour you know, every day or, you know, a couple of days a week and, and you can still, you know, really get a great workout in, you know, keep yourself feeling good and, and things like that, which, you know, kind of, as you alluded to before, is really what, what helps drive you from like, you know, just kind of a, a, the big picture um, helps drive you at work, drive you professionally and, and things like that. And I, I really think that, you know, taking care of your body um, and taking care of your mind uh, really helps in all aspects of life. It really does. And I'm so I used to own two CrossFit gyms, one in Columbus and one in, in Buffalo. And I'm super passionate about CrossFit, not just for, hey, it helps you look good. Like who doesn't like to look pretty stacked in their jeans and whatever else. But, you know, I always loved what it did for people mentally, too. You know, you have these people who they never think they can pull 300 pounds or, you know, they never think they can do whatever, you know, on a deadlift or a back squat. And then you see them do it or you see them lose a bunch of weight and you just watch their confidence just totally swing 
pendulum wise in the other direction. And they think, wow, if I could do those hard things physically, how hard is it to have a tough conversation at work or with my spouse or whatever it's going to be? And it fundamentally changes their lives. So yay, CrossFit. <laughs> for for yeah. me, it's still no, been I, I, five years of knowing Lindsay and I've yet to do a CrossFit class with her, but you know, <laughs> we'll see. All right, well, now you got to do it. All right. I will. Then you wake up one day and like all of a sudden you're in a cult. Like, <laughs> but see, like the thing is, I think that when you start, maybe you get like a little bit like in a cult, but then you kind of settle, settle into like an equilibrium and, and, yeah. and you figure out like how, if you like it. And I mean, for a lot of people, they just, they just go and it's just like going to the gym, but you have a little bit more of like a family environment and, you know, friends and, and things like that. And it helps push you and you're not, it's, it's more of like a social thing than just, going there and going to the gym and, and benching with headphones on and not talking to anybody. That's fair. Which sometimes I like to do anyway, let's just be honest. So yeah. <laughs> Lindsay just built a CrossFit gym in her house. <laughs> I did. I actually have a full CrossFit gym inside my home. Um, That's great. <laughs> it is because now I don't have to go anywhere, which was a real benefit to me during COVID, if we're, if we're honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Okay, uh, Danielle and I and, and the whole Be Boulder team, we actually all wear whoops because um, we were really interested in the data of recovery and the science of recovery and, and making sure like, if, hey, if we're pushing ourselves too much, you know, how is that tying through to the rest of our lives? So talk to me about your involvement with whoop. How did you decide one day you're, you said, hey, I'm going to start tracking all of this and make myself a better athlete? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm incredibly curious here. Sure. Yeah. So I've always been obviously like a little bit of a, of a nerd and, and into the data and, and stuff like that. So when I, I started using Whoop in 2017 and, you know, I really loved it from, you know, oh, like seeing, oh, what's, a, what's your recovery? And I was in med school at the time. So it was just helping me like sleep more and, and things like that, which I think then, you know, helped benefit me on, you know, clinical rotations mm. and, you know, like we talked about kind of keeping like a clear head and, and things like that. And then uh, I, I transitioned to residency and basically was just like learning more and more about medicine and about the autonomic nervous system and, and more research. And I started looking into some of these things a little bit more. And I was like, you know, actually, this is really based off of the cardiovascular system. Um, and this is like really like kind of one of the things that I like the most. Um, and I like fitness and I like data and things like that. I was like, so this is like kind of cool. Like, and so I started paying attention to the data a little bit more, um, you know, trying to seek out like certain trends in, in my own data. You know, I think anybody that's used a device and, and um, has drank any alcohol can tell you that, you know, that'll tank your recovery. Um, if you look at the specific metrics, the, the main thing um, that drives your recovery is your heart rate variability, HRV. And the, the and, and what HRV is, just, just briefly, is essentially the beat-to-beat -beat variation in your heart rate. So as your heart rate changes, then that subtle time difference between beats changes slightly. And essentially, the standard deviation of, of those changes. So the more variable it is, the more responsive it is to stimuli, external and, and um, internal stimuli. Some of those are your uh, autonomic nervous system. So your flight or flight response or your rest and digest, which is sympathetic and parasympathetic. And then other things are, you know, external stimuli. So stress, uh, a, a high training load, just, you know, like anything mental, emotional uh, feelings that you're having. And you know, so I started looking at these things. I was like, wow, there's like a lot of interesting trends here. Uh, I was like, I wonder, you know, if this could be used for something and asking and answering specific questions. Mm. 
And then I had I had a really interesting experience, and this was um, in the ICU intensive care unit, and uh, I was there for a month. And you're working very very long hours. Uh, the patients are very very sick. There's a lot of stress all the time. And basically, what I saw is no matter what I would do, like you know, take rest days, sleep more, do all my like little tricks to improve recovery. Like I could not, I could not really make like strides. I I, I think I went like almost like three weeks without having like a green recovery or something, something like that. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I mean, basically my training was, it was a constant, so it wasn't related to that. And and I was actually training for Wadapalooza, which is a CrossFit competition in Miami. Um, and so I was trying to, you know, up my training and I still like couldn't like recover well. And I was like, maybe it's just like that I'm so stressed out at work that, you know, I just I just can't. You know, I, I my my body knows that that I'm under stress and HR the HRV is just capturing that. And so I finished that month and um in the ICU and I went to, I went on vacation or like I had my vacation block, which at the end of that was gonna be down in Miami with Wadapalooza. I went home actually. Uh, back to um, Buffalo and Rochester was staying with with some friends uh, for part of it, and we were we would hang out. And then me and my friend um, Eric, uh, he we basically looked at a lot of my data and r- ran some um, linear regressions and some um, multivariate regressions on the data to see if we could model out you know whether work hours or other um, variables were predictive of you know, like what my HRV response would be. And it was just the N of one, uh, like my own data. But it saw some interesting trends, basically, like between duty hours and like sleep and things like that, like we're, we're very tied together and, mm. and HRV as well. And so I was like, you know, if you c- compiled more data here, then you may be able to like tease out trends in people's actual physiology to see how they're feeling. Yeah. And so all my work was retro, all my, you know, kind of analysis was retrospective. And I basically was looking at duty hours, I was looking at the types of rotations that I was on, but I didn't really have a ton of other variables. But, you know, if if we did this prospectively, like, you know, going forward with a larger cohort of people and and ask specific questions, for example, like, you know, how burned out are you? Or like, you know, how, how do you, um, you know, where, where do you fall on this physician well-being index and, and or like a PHQ-9, which is a depression scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those are literature validated um, to essentially track um, how people feel in residency and or, or physicians in general. Um, and so we wa- basically wanted to compare those two data metrics, the, the, the WHOOP physiologic metrics to the subjective assessments of wellness and burnout and, and depression and things like that. Um, and so that's one of the, that's the main, um, project that we're now working on and it started last July. So it's, it's finishing this June, uh, year long follow up time, with uh, 38 residents all wearing the device, answering periodic surveys. And we've seen some, we've seen some really interesting kind of preliminary results and I'm really excited to, to look at it, you know, in the formal analysis. Oh yeah. And I'm incredibly interested to, hear what that data tells us, right? Because, and I think we've mentioned this to you before, but Danielle and I and the, the, the Boulder team, we have this this theory that if you're, you know, not taking care of yourself mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, all those things take a toll. Kind of like what you were talking about in, in the ICU. Yep. Right? And that stress load yep. over time 
uh, ends up harming your recovery. It ends up harming the way that you're able to function and to think. And then we translate that over to the financial world and we say, wait a minute, if you're an entrepreneur, or you're grinding it out on your business each and every day and you are pushing yourself to the brink and you're not sleeping and you're not eating right and you know, you're taking yourself to the, the edge financially, there is no way that you can be recovered. And if that is true, are you really making your best decisions in business? And if I'm really selfish, if you're not doing that, am I really maximizing my financial benefit from investment in this company? Because you aren't taking care of yourself and can't think clearly every day. And so we actually have our own little you know, team cohort, if you will, and we check up on each other every day. And it's always interesting to watch. So Brandon, um, <laughs> he he's uh, our quiet uh, behind the scenes, behind the scenes guy. But this kid, I mean, he's like 22 years old and he like wakes up and he's already burned like 1200 calories and he's like almost always recovered. It's completely unfair. <laughs> Not that we're jealous or anything. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, you make but, a great point. You make a great point with all that though. No, yeah. And, and so I am curious to hear, you know, have you ever thought about that in the entrepreneurial context and, you know, I would love to figure out how to work with Whoop on something like this too, just to say, hey, like we've got, you know, a dozen entrepreneurs, hundreds of entrepreneurs even, you know, what does the data tell us about them and try to, you know, push the message that sometimes slowing down to speed up is the thing that you need to do. So I'm kind of curious on your thoughts there. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, so obviously like in, in my field of work, you know, the, the, the first thing to do would be to test it on your own cohort. Mm-hmm. But I really like in terms of residents or physicians, um, but I really think it, it goes for any profession or any career that is just that you're just grinding. And I think a lot of a lot of people like really, really work hard. But I think, you know, in terms of that upper echelon of, of people that are that are almost forced to not sleep a lot or that and and still need to be opt, op, like um, operating at, at optimal levels, you know, in order to succeed. I think that anybody that falls under that category, so entrepreneurs, you know, the, you know, military personnel or law enforcement and things like that, you know, I think all of those, um, those groups would benefit from, from something like this. Cause it's really the self-empowerment. I think that helps having access, you know, there's, there's this quote and I, I'm going to, I can't remember who it's by, but it's basically like, if you can't track it, you can't change it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a lot, a lot of people have, have regurgitated some, some form of that now. And, and I, I truly believe that, you know, yeah, we, we say we want to make changes or we want to optimize quote unquote is, is a you know fancy word that everyone likes. But like, what are you actually going to do? You know, you have to take an input and there has to be an output. And so the input for you guys, you know, what you're saying is, okay, recovery. And recovery is a conglomerate of HRV and resting heart rate and your sleep, including your REM sleep and your deep sleep, and then your respiratory rate. And so, um, you know, you say, okay, well, when I see a low recovery, what do I do with that? Because my end goal is to optimize performance and performance can be in medicine, in entrepreneurship and, you know, being a, a police officer, something like that. You know, everybody needs to be performing top notch. And so the question is like in the middle there, it's the, it's the big question mark, the black box. What do you do with that information? 
Um, with these wearables, they're all good at collecting a lot of data, but how do you turn that into information? So I think that is the key thing. And it sounds like what you guys have done is is a really neat thing is is basically making just, you know, subtle changes off of that. You know, whether it's, you know, I know some companies have said, okay, when you have a low recovery, you work from home today, you know, which is all a little bit different with, with COVID, of course. But, you know, let's let's like rewind a year and a half ago or whatever. But, you know, really figuring out what, what do I do when I see a low recovery or, you know, is that a function? Do I know why that happened or do I not know? You know, is it, is it really obvious? Like, well, I, I, I slept one hour last night, so I'm not recovered. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's pretty easy to change. But like, okay, well, so what if you sleep eight hours the next night and you're still low? Oh, well, maybe it's not that. And, you know, those are all anecdotal evidence. So really, you need to compile that across a larger cohort to really answer the question. But I think what you can do, you know, from without a formal clinical trial is to just look at your, your own data and, and do use things like the journal uh, feature, which, which is great. And it essentially runs a, a, a t-test on all of your life decisions and shows you how did this impact my recovery, my sleep, my HRV and, and all the above. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, that's like one of the, one of the beauties of it is it, is it, you don't need like a full blown research study to, to use the data. <clears throat> it gives you the tools like right, right on the app itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can, you can make, you can make adjustments. And if you really want to get scientific about it um, and what I've kind of done, I was talking about this with someone recently is say I wanted to, you could run your own like almost randomized clinical trial. Say I wanted to see if eating a late meal lowered my recovery. So one way to do that would be retrospective. So you you plug you look at all the times that you said I ate a late meal and then and then you look at that cumulative recovery. So that's great. But what if the reason that you're eating a late meal was actually what was driving your low recovery? Meaning what if you every day you're eating a late meal it's because you were working 15 hours and you get you didn't get home from work till 11 p.m. Now you're ch- charting on the journal that it's the late meal that's doing it, but it it's pro- it may be the late meal, but it may not be the late meal. It may actually be that you worked 15 hours and you've been like stressed as all hell, <laughs> and that's actually what's driving your recovery. So what you can do is all those specific things is you randomize. So mm-hmm. you know what I was doing for a little bit, and I haven't actually like looked at my own data because I'm still ongoing in this like n of one trial. Is every time that I go to eat a um, a late meal or like like late night, I basically decide to eat like a full blown meal, like what I would normally eat, versus like just like a little bit of a snack or something. Like, you know, it's it's midnight. Do I really need to be eating like two thousand calories or like a thousand calories, or do I just have like a you know a protein bar, and a protein shake, and then go to bed because that's all I'm going to do anyways? And so you can then you can actually go and pull that data, and, and you know that that requires a little bit more effort, but then you you actually answer the question. And so if you, if you end up seeing that there's no difference, then, you know, you're like, well, maybe it was what was driving me to, to get home late that really, you know, changed things um, or impacted your recovery. And so, you know, again, just having this type of data, you would never be able to, at, you know, answer all, all of that stuff um, without it. You know, you might be like, yeah, I probably got home late this day or, you know, I, I, I went to bed late or, or I, I woke up late and things like that. But now you have all that at your fingertips. And I think that's the most like interesting part and you can actually make changes. So I had a Fitbit before the whoop and like, if you were to look at my like Fitbit data, you'd be like, oh, okay, like decent. 
you're sort of sleeping, but you're working out, you're doing all these things. And then when I got the whoop, it was like, you are not sleeping enough. Like I lied to myself like four years. <laughs> I was like, you're good on five hours of sleep. But like, I need eight. Like I can't hit a green recovery unless I'm in like seven and a half to eight hours of like solid sleep. And like that, like the whoop actually forced me to do it instead of like continuing to like lie to myself or knowing if I read before bed, like that like raises my HRV, like certain habits that are really healthy for me that I just was not doing because I didn't have like a correlation to data on it. And now I'm like, oh, I see this and I want to be in the green. So I'm like, you know what, that book that's saying on the nightstand, like I am going to read it tonight. Like I'll take 10 minutes instead of like scrolling through like the endless like cesspool of Twitter before bed. So (laughs) (laughs) It, it, it helps reinforce things that we know are good, but we don't do just because it's like, well, it's a lot easier to text to, until two in the morning with your friends or scroll on Instagram and, and Twitter versus like actually doing things that take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, you know, I'm really excited to see what, you know, so you're talking about all this data, right? And, and okay, we're, we're tracking it and we're managing it and we're, you know, randomizing things, this and that, but we're also looking to tie that then against, you know, plotting that against whether each of these employees in these various companies that, you know, we invest in or whatever else is achieving their KPIs, their key performance indicators. And then you know, we have a working theory that <laughs> the folks that are achieving their key performance indicators or are exceeding their KPIs are probably the ones who are taking better care of themselves. And, you know, in the, in, in contrast to that, then the folks who are yeah. not achieving it are probably like, eating like garbage and not sleeping and whatever else, you know, and have a lot of stress and, you know, probably have some financial issues. We can go down the line, but we're really like interested to see how that data starts to plot over time and and see where that goes. Now, question for you. Do you get any pushback on people when you start to say like, hey, we want to track your data? Because once in a while I have someone, especially folks from like the EU, when I talk to them about this, they say, no, like, people are going to let you track that data. I'm like, yeah, they're happy to, but I'm curious if you've had any pushback on it, like maybe in um, residence or anything like that. Well, so from, so all of our, um, all of our data is blinded. Oh, okay. And so like, it, it's just numbers. So we don't like, there's no active kind of like feedback loop or anything like that in, in the trial or anything. So it's, it's a little bit different than how you guys use it. You know, there's no like teams, group or anything like that, that, that people are looking at it, um, together or like, there's no like big brothers watching phenomenal, sure. which sounds like that's probably like people's, people's concern. And yeah, but I have, I have like hurt, I have had that concern, um, raised before and people are like, well, is there like a conflict of interest? And, you know, I, I think the answer is yes, there would be, but we're not, we're not looking at it like that. So, um, so there's not. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, people get very funny and finicky about the data, but I think a lot of times the people who get, who tend to skew on the more finicky side are the ones who'd probably know they're not taking care of themselves. So they don't want yeah. to help. It's actually very funny. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think, I think, I think he, it's a, it's a way to identify those people probably. <laughs> yeah, they kind of like flag for themselves. Like, I don't want to take care of myself. I don't want to change my habits. Right, um, because right. change can be hard sometimes. So it's difficult. <laughs> it is. So tell what's the what's the most exciting project you're working on moving forward? Oof. Wow. That is a great question. Honestly, uh, this Woot project has become um like such a passion of mine and it's extended into 
all aspects of my life. I mean, so I always used it for my own training to, to kind of optimize things, but, you know, and I kind of use it a little bit differently from a personal and, and professional level from, from the research perspective. I think uh, a lot of the, the metrics that it tracks are, are really interesting from a technological and, and physiologic standpoint. And I'm, I'm really interested to see where that goes moving forward to see like how wearables can be utilized to help manage like chronic diseases. Mm. Um, for example, we actually also have a, um, a clinical trial using whoop and heart failure patients, um, essentially seeing like, can these physiologic metrics be predictive of things that leads to a hospitalization or, you know, like God forbid, like leads to death or something like that, because they're, they're really sick. And, and, you know, so being able to predict a worsening outcome, you know, is, is very valuable. And there's been a lot of work in the field with, with some, somewhat, sometimes with, with some wearables, but other times with like implantable devices, uh-huh. uh, with people that are, have really bad heart failure that have like defibrillators and, and things like that already implanted. So some of those have, have, have um, metrics that they um, calculate, but you know, not everybody has a defibrillator put in, but everybody has a wrist or an, arm that they can uh, track something or like some people use it on their ankle. <laughs> like I've oh, seen right. uh, some of my nurse friends, some of my nurse friends that like are in COVID units, they uh, put it on their ankle when they're at work, um, which is kind of funny, but it works. I just feel and, like, um, you know, kind of very Lindsay Lohan type of situation it, where she was like, always wearing that monitor. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's basically what it looked like. So I was like kind of laughing. I, I had a, I had a friend over actually to watch a Bills game one time and, and and he like puts his leg up and I'm like what what is why is your whoop on your ankle he goes oh man I forgot to take that off <laughs> so weird so weird but but I'm I'm really excited to to see kind of where it goes because I think that there's like um a lot a lot to do with with um with the wearable space and and with whoop and and just answering questions and and they they've been such a pleasure to work with in terms of you know helping uh, you know the infrastructure i mean i i run all the the trials so it's not funded by whoop so it's all um funded by my own grants sure. so they don't they don't have any input on anything so there's really no biasing ah. and there's no there's no kind of conflict of interest there um and you know i'm although i'm a fan of the device you know i i will say that you know if if another device was able to calculate these exact measures the same, you know, I would I wouldn't be opposed to using another device, but this is what I'm familiar with, and um, this is uh, been the, the seemingly seemingly the best one out there, you know, doing my homework, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been really it's been really fun, um, and we we actually just uh, submitted a manuscript actually that looked at the physiologic response to the COVID vaccine um, as measured mm-hmm. by Whoop. So we, we looked at everybody's because um, everybody got vaccinated in residency and, and we looked at uh, essentially like what what happened. And uh, essentially you had like an HRV drop from both for both both vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, there was no and, and it, you returned to baseline by like day three. Yes. On average. Yeah. And then there was no no no. Uh, measurable changes in respiratory rate or resting heart rate. Interestingly, maybe resting heart rate went, went up a, a, a touch, but it was not statistically significant. And then sleep actually decreased on night one mm-hmm. post vaccine for both both doses. And then there was like a compensatory increase the next three nights. Um, and so sleep is one of the, the things. Yes, it's physiologic, but um, 
you know, you can kind of control how much time you're in bed and things like that. Right. And so, you know, people probably, you know, our conclusion from that was that people felt like crap, so they slept more, which makes sense. Um, and actually, it was interesting. So we looked at, so we did some regressions on if you were sleeping less preceding the vaccine. So in the six nights before the vaccine, there was actually a, a, a pretty tight correlation with how much sleep you got and, and how much of a physiologic response you had to the, to the vaccine, which could actually be, a, be an indicator of, of how much of an immune response you would have. So you, you need further studies to do that with like antibody titers and things like that. But, it's, right. but it's an, it was an interesting finding. So yeah. selfishly, Alex, I am going to ask, I go for my second dose on Wednesday. So then what should I be doing to prepare? So, Obviously sleep more after, but. Sleep, more, yeah, sleep, sleep is, sleep is king. You know, I think a lot. So we also, we also tracked um, like who pre-medicated and, and that didn't really have any uh, effect on physiology. So, you know, I, I don't know if I, this is my non-medical advice. So take it as you wish, but I, I took ibuprofen before the second dose and anecdotally it seems like people had worse um, reactions to the second dose just because your body's a little bit teed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so y- if, if you had something like I only had arm soreness and for both doses, it just lasted a little bit longer for the second one. Um, but other people had like more of like, you know, kind of like flu like symptoms or, you know, maybe a fever or something like that. And, and it was generally more, um, prevalent with this with the second dose so i i would suggest ibuprofen or tylenol or something um before the second dose man i wish i would have had this before sorry (laughs) go ahead yeah no i was gonna say yeah like i know like we probably didn't think we were going down this one like vaccines i think it's super interesting like so i was i'm the only one in my family who has like a whoop to really track it but my brother and dad got both of their doses and they're both type o and a blood type and they were fine like both doses did not have any issues my mom, my sister and I are all type A and my mom on her second dose, like it knocks her out for like 36 hours. Mm. So I'm like very interested to see like how my second dose reaction is and how my sister's will be based on if there's anything with also our blood type. So like that's, yeah, like I'm, that's as far as I can go on the science side. That's it. I'm just very okay. curious after that though. That's solid. Yeah. yeah. I got the J and J and I wanted to be dead. Oh, so you just so. got the... Yeah, I wanted to be dead for a solid like twenty four hours, and then I was just dumb for twenty four hours after that. Um, but then by day three post shot, um, my recovery started to shoot back up. I mean, I will tell you, my mm-hmm. recovery the day after I got the shot was one percent. I was like, "Well, this is it, folks. Signing <laughs> off." Yeah, <laughs> I've had uh, I've had I've had one percent a couple times, and yeah, it feels like one percent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I always text it to Danielle. I'm like, tomorrow's my last day ever. So yeah, 1% (laughs) chance I make it one more day. Yeah, that's like how I felt. Okay, well, this was awesome. And I really appreciated, you know, hearing how you're thinking about this. And, you know, um, all of the research that you've done, I'm interested to see what comes of it in the future. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, naturally, this isn't a commercial for whoop in any way, shape or form. But if you can get any type of whoop, the aura, whatever type of data um, tracking device is going to help you manage your day-to-day life better and help you just be smarter about the way that you're interacting with the world. I always advocate that. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us here today. And Danielle, thanks for joining us too and setting this up. And, you know, I, I appreciate both of you. So thanks and hope you guys have a 
great rest of your day. And I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. <laughs> yes, Alex, thank you so much. And for anyone that wants to do a little bit more further reading, Alex has published some awesome articles um, on some of the studies he's working on. So I'll make sure I drop those in the um, episode notes so that you can go check them out and do a little bit more research for yourself. Um, they're super interesting. Some of it, Alex does go over my head and I'm have to be like, I'm gonna have to text him and ask him what these means because I'll send them to Lindsay and I'm like, this is really interesting. <laughs> I understand about like maybe 70%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, I appreciate so much being on here and you know, all your insights. I do think that there's definitely a parallel between, you know, working hard and, and being a doctor and, and being an entrepreneur. So, you know, there's, there's similarities and differences, but I think the, um, you know, kind of the middle of the Venn diagram is like, you know, being busy and, and trying to optimize, you know, control the things you can control because that I think improves performance. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, been a pleasure, been a pleasure chatting. You know, if, if any of your listeners are interested in any of the stuff, Instagram or whatever, and um, I'm happy to, happy to continue conversation or answer anything. And yeah, I've written a handful of stuff on, on the Whoop website and actually it was like recently in, in men's health as well for something Ooh, um, that we actually didn't talk about, which was, which is when, when I uh, did Murph 30 days in a row and tracked my Whoop data. Yeah, which and, is insane, uh, all, by all the kinds way. of stuff. <laughs> So that, that that was actually that was actually how I practiced running some of the statistics that would be eventually used in the grants that I wrote for mm -hmm. for the for the initial study. So it was kind of like I mean you know, I I felt like I was kind of using it like as like a work related tool, even though it was obviously not related to work at all. <laughs> but uh, that was that was fun, kind of awesome. fun, quote unquote. <laughs> fun in a weird and twisted cross city sort of way. out. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, thanks so much yep. for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing really amazing things from you in the future. Uh, thanks for having me. Have a good one, guys. You too. Thank you so much. forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Insta at BeBolderCast or visit our blog at TheBolderLife.com. If you have questions or suggestions for me, leave me a message at 614-706-6693.